0: we could almost harness the hive mind of athletes, then it would be so helpful. But I think people quite often they have quite a difficult relationship with their sport. It, I, it's a bit of a sort of who's responsible. It's really on you.
1: Hello, and welcome to the first episode of chapters. My name is Craig Walsh and I'm delighted to have Ben Mercer as our first guest on the podcast. Ben is a former rugby union professional who played for Plymouth Albion and the Cornish Pirates in the UK before embarking on a four year stint playing for Stade René in France. With an English literature degree from his uni days and an interest in writing, Ben released Fringes, detailing the eye-opening accounts of his French rugby adventure. The success of Fringes led to being a number one Amazon bestseller, but more importantly, it seems, opened up further professional pathways and opportunities after his rugby career came to a close. In our conversation, we discussed the importance of being active on social media as early as possible during a sports career, Building confidence in public speaking, and we discuss Ben's new book *Endgame*, a handbook for athletes navigating the end of professional sport, which I highly recommend. I couldn't have had a finer person in Ben to be my first guest, so thanks again for his time. All of Ben's information is in the episode notes below, so check out his socials and website for more information. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Ben Mercer. Ben Mercer, thanks for joining uh, joining us on the podcast. Um, So I've been listening to um, other. Podcasts about athletes who have retired, and uh one of the questions is when athletes or former athletes get asked uh, what do you do? How have you found it when you've started moving into your next career? How have you answered that question
0: yeah, I think that that question felt really aggressive right in the first place because Probably um, slightly foolishly, I I didn't have something to do immediately. So I had this kind of long period of trying out different things, which I think in the long run was good. But in the short run, um, actually made people quite uncomfortable. I think when you say, oh, yeah, I've just stopped doing this and I'm doing a bit of this and a bit of that. I'm just trying things out. Then you make people quite uncomfortable. And then that made me feel quite uncomfortable in the first place.
1: What do you think they were uncomfortable about?
0: I think people, they find the idea of people not working very difficult to um, to deal with and they don't quite know, uh, yeah, they don't quite know what to come back with in a way. Uh, I, I think everyone's so kind of used to and expecting, you know, I'm a doctor, I, you mm. know, like a, a sort of very sort of Fine clear... Enough. Yeah, and like they they could they just know immediately which kind of uh, status box to put you in. And when you when you are an athlete, it's obviously quite an interesting answer. People are like, "Oh, wow!" And then you know it gives them a whole kind of jumping off point for another conversation. Whereas I think when you say, "Oh, I'm, I'm experimenting with these things," then people just don't quite know where to go next because mm-hmm. you've sort of broken the sort of usual social cues that they get back. Um, now, I still don't really have a very clear answer because I'm still doing a whole host of different things. But again, I think they're weird. So people quite like to hear, you know, oh, I write books and I make book content for TikTok. <laughs> you know, people are like, oh, wow. And then, they, you know, it gives them a whole host of questions to ask. Whereas I that think really it's different if, as well, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I think if you have a kind of unfocused answer, people do. Get uncomfortable, and to begin with, as well, I, I was a little bit um unclear of what to say. But then, actually, a couple of years after I stopped playing rugby, I was with a friend, uh, and we were down in Cornwall for a couple of days, and we went to the pub, and you know, we got chatting to some people. And he he wasn't an athlete, but he had sort of he was in some sort of little transitional moment for himself, and he basically just sold a business. He was doing up his house to sell it and he was sort of had some part-time work you know in an industry that he was considering getting into and when someone asked what we did he really stumbled over what to say and I I really felt his awkwardness and then the next day we're in the car together and and um and he and he said he brought it up basically he said I just really want to have like an interesting answer you know like you said you said what you said and that seemed like really interesting i want to have an interesting answer and i was like yeah i don't know why you felt so awkward like because to me what you're doing seems perfectly reasonable it's like i sold a business i'm doing up a house i'm doing some part-time work in a new industry it's a dream to, see, to test <laughs> it out it's like what what has you know why is that a weird answer that seems perfectly legitimate and interesting to me you know and but to him obviously he, he maybe didn't articulate it quite right, but it made him feel really awkward in that moment. And it was just interesting to see from someone who wasn't an athlete have those same feelings as well.
1: Do you think he was um, comparing himself to other people? Maybe not yourself, but do you think he, he could be just kind of thinking where I want to be rather than what I'm doing?
0: Yeah, I think I think that was definitely it. And I think he felt uncomfortable not having one thing to say, you know? I think every people sort of want to just, not that conv- that you know not that answer straight back at someone I do this you know
1: and um... I, I i really don't like the question and i uh, i've been um struggling with that myself uh i live in germany and my wife is a full-time teacher and basically i'm not the full-time provider for the for our family because my wife works full-time and especially living in germany it's already quite isolating not being uh, you know, a native speaker. And um, I really try not to get to that question. And I always ask that question first to someone else and say, what do you like doing uh, in your spare time, rather than ask what is their job? Because most of the time, I don't think people really want to talk about their their job, unless it's very interesting.
0: <laughs> no, I think that's true. Um, I I quite often try and delay that in a conversation and then people then sort of belatedly realized and after a while that, like, Oh, I never asked what you did or, you know, oh, we never you know did that. And mm. you're like, well, we didn't have to either. We actually had a perfectly reasonable conversa- <laughs> you know, conversation without doing that. Um, yeah, it, it, definitely is a kind of, it's a conversational crutch, isn't it? In, in like social. No
1: politics, stuff. no religion, no talking <laughs> about what you do. That should be the, those should be the rules.
0: Yeah 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 they probably should be actually
1: and what did you um you you mentioned how you uh tried different things after you finished playing rugby? We will get to the playing rugby uh just down the down the line what did you uh explore after after rugby
0: i mean prior to rugby, I did an English literature degree and i was always You know, while I was playing rugby, I had little bits of writing work to do. People would kind of ask me, you know, friends and they'd pass me through for little random jobs sometimes. I never was too rigorous about pursuing these things, but it was clearly something that I liked and that other people uh, kind of believed in me you know, to do. Uh, So I did a short fiction writing course, which was just online and free, but just as a little sort of test the waters. I made a couple of like freelance profiles, basically started doing little little jobs and um, writing kind of content for other people. But then at the same time, so in the first place, I went and worked for a friend's dad in his like bike business. And he, he was like, look, you know, obviously this isn't your, you know, uh, what you want to be doing, but it'll tie you over. I can like teach you a little bit about the business and, you know, just give you a little bit of kind of money in your pocket. So I went and did that. And then um, another friend needed help with a property development project that he was doing where it was like he you know he had a couple of bigger projects to do so he was like oh you can actually take my load on this one it'll give you again some things to do learn a few skills meet some people test things out so a couple of different things like that while in the same time I was yeah just I I really got into the idea into the concept of being able to work remotely because I think Mm -hmm. my my athletic career had been so tied to different places where quite sure. often, you know, you just had to move somewhere because someone offered you a contract for one year. And that felt quite almost like tyrannical to me at the end. And I quite liked the idea of being able to be wherever I wanted. And at the time I had um, a girlfriend, you know, still in Europe. So I was like, well, you know, if I could work on my laptop, but go and maybe live with her or, you know, whatever. Um so those were those were considerations for me, so I was always thinking about, okay, what uh skill could I sort of learn, get paid for, and showcase, and writing seemed the obvious thing, so I was like, you know while I was doing it, I was also sort of keeping my other options open um
1: yeah and were you me. writing um whilst you were playing? No, not ne- never in no, a kind of uh,
0: at all regular consistent frequent way every so often I'd sort of go "Mm," and then like you know maybe have a little experiment and put it down and there was once I um when I was at Plymouth Albion, I made a. a you know, I was bored on Christmas Day, and I wrote a sort of Albion Christmas poem about our team, and it was like a ballad, and it just you know name checked everybody and sort of taking the piss out of everyone basically, and then just texted to everyone around the team, and everyone was like, it, it actually went down pretty well. Everyone was like, oh, I'm pleased you're being productive with your. Did you see, Did
1: you notice you had a talent though? Did you think, oh, actually, this could go somewhere? Or was it someone else who pushed you to 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 go into this? area
0: uh I, I never yeah I don't know I never really thought about like whether I had a talent or not I just quite do you enjoyed, still think like, you
1: yeah. do or don't have a talent I mean it's, it's there's, there's there's having that self uh confidence isn't there to go right I'm mm. gonna go for this now
0: yeah I think I think I've always been good at it I think at school I was good at it and I've always kind of retained that level of confidence in it but then you know I'd never kind of demonstrated it and I think because I read a lot I sort of I I feel like I know when something's not right so even if I don't know what might make it good I'm like okay well like you know technically I'm not sure like what it is but I can look at it and I'll be like oh I don't know about that and think "Mm." and I can you know so quite often friends would send me things they'd be like oh I need to write this and do you mind having a look at it and I just kind of jigsaw it around and add one or two things and then they'd be like, oh yeah, thank you. So it was was those (laughs) sorts of things where people obviously saw, they were like, oh, he'll be good at it. You know, he'll, he'll make it a bit better for me.
1: And how did, um, what, what, which year did you write the book, uh, Fringes?
0: Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I brought it out at the end of 2019. So I sort of must've written it the back half of 2018, Yeah, yeah. so I think I started it in 2018 Um, and then it was pretty much done by by the summer 2019 and then I really prevaricated on it, you know, it was like sort of really tinkering around the edges with it and in in the end I was, you know, I, I basically had set a deadline for myself that it had to be out by Christmas and then I just, I could have brought it out way before but I was really, I was quite worried, I was quite scared of doing it. And in the end, I sort of had shamed myself because I was like, if, if you let Christmas go by and you haven't done it, like you've really let yourself down kind of thing. So I got the Kindle copy up in November, I think, 2020, uh, 2019. And um, yeah, and then the print copy I got shortly after. And yeah.
1: And it. how did that come around with like the actual, I mean, getting something published is, a, is, is an achievement. Did someone come to you did you send someone a chapter How oh did no that... no i did it myself i did it it's myself. just completely so, self-published
0: yeah yeah i self-published it so i i again i kind of went down the the sort of online work you know create your own credential seth godin do it yourself i i went down that whole kind of rabbit hole on twitter and you know podcasts and everything else and then um but once i had once I had a load together, I I basically thought, well, you know, I spoke to a friend and she put me through to an agent who uh, is supposed to be this kind of intelligent sports books agent. So I sent, I sent an early kind of 100 pages to him and he was really helpful. And he said, look, you know, I think this is like pretty good. You can definitely improve it still. And he said, but, you know, rugby books, it's a small market and people only come out for big names. So he was like, so, you know, I think doing it yourself would actually be probably quite a good tack for you to take anyway. And for me, I want, you know, part of it was kind of proving a, an ability to write for me to then subsequently earn more money. So I was like, well, it's in my interest to move quickly. So, yeah, I did explore both avenues. But I think once I got that answer from him, I was like, right, well, you know, um, I'm not going to waste my time <laughs> you know, trying to, you know, convince other people I'm just going to get on and do it. And uh, yeah, so I, I actually self-published it.
1: And it, it did. Really well. I mean, it got, was it the William Hill Sportsbook of the Year? It was nominated?
0: Yeah, yeah. So it got, um, I got a message saying like, oh, we've, you know, uh, our judges are asking that you, that you enter. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, had to send a load of copies off to Leeds or somewhere. And then, uh, yeah, and then I ended up long listed, which was really cool. And it didn't go further than that. But I actually, um, probably a- sometime after that, I actually got it like, properly proofread and kind of public i had to publish a second edition i didn't change any of the kind of actual content there's just you know when i got the proofread i was like oh this is actually still full of mistakes it's crazy that i um you know that it got as far as it did in a way but uh but yeah so what is there now available (laughs) yeah yeah what's available now is a kind of much more professional document
1: I well the reason why i didn't think it was self-published was not that there's anything wrong with it. you can you can do so much now but i really like the design on the on the was i mean that was such a night nice, i only realized i'm so stupid i didn't even realize until like a week ago that it was the french flag, the colors you know um but yeah
0: um, oh, no, I, i'd love to go in on that because like no one ever asks but i'm so i'm so pleased uh i'm so pleased you liked it and i was delighted with the guy and it's crazy how i think you know, I found the person who edited it in the first place. You know these, and uh, and then the cover design. You know, I found the cover design because I met, I met a girl when I was out in a nightclub, and she, you know, we we exchanged numbers, and she was a fashion designer, and I just, w- w- you know, we're just chatting. I said, oh, I'm actually looking, you know, for a designer, but I'm looking for someone to do a book cover, and she said, Oh, you should try my friend Adam. He um, he does craft drinks, and I just thought in terms of like conceptually craft drinks are the same you know like it's yep. an undifferentiated product you can't try it until you've bought it it's got to stand out everything's the same um so i you know i, I looked at his uh, behance and stuff like that his portfolio and i just he'd done a cover of a surf magazine it was even in the similar colors that i was after that you know the, it was much more blue but it had splash of red on it and and i was like oh this could be great and what he did in the first place, he did two. He did two versions, and one was pretty much the version that's on there now, and the other one was actually very cool. It was um, kind of uh, he was in very like French rugby kit, but he's running in a field, and I actually love that cover too. But I think the one, the red, white, and blue one, is much more striking. and And it was also I didn't. I was trying to title the book, so I actually didn't title it until towards you know towards the end. And I was trying to communicate, you know, the France element. And to begin with, it was going to be in the subtitle. Well, you know, back in the first instance, it was maybe in the title, then it was in the subtitle. And I thought, oh, if I'm saying France, I'm actually potentially limiting the audience because people might just go, I'm not into French rugby. I'll just turn off. And I was like, well, France is actually, it's kind of incidental in a way. to what I'm talking about in the book. So I, I just love that we've communicated it with the colours on the cover. and Yeah. And it's the the other side of it was that um yeah, most sports books are just someone's face, aren't they? They're just like here's here's famous person's face, but I'm I wasn't a famous rugby player and the whole point that's one of the whole points oh, yeah, of the book. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. there are many of there
1: are many people like yourself who might be on this kind of journey.
0: Mm. And it felt hubristic to me to put a photo and I didn't want to do that, and actually it was an easy way to differentiate. It was like, well, if all the other books are just someone's face, then actually mine looks like that. Then you just think, well, you know, that's perfect. Mm. <laughs> it really is the like, this isn't like all the others. And I was just, I was so happy with what Adam created. Yeah. I really think. It was
1: amazing. like a silhouette of a, of a player, of a of a rugby player mm. running with the ball. Um, mm. But the, um, the book se- did take off kind of into, in the, during the lockdown, didn't it? Yeah. What were you expecting when, when you brought the book out?
0: I, I really wasn't expecting anything. I was just, I was concerned, you know, <laughs> if you like it or not, to be honest. And the first sort of, um, I made downloads free to begin with to get, some, um, to get some reviews. And then over the first few months, it sold a few hundred copies a month. So it actually did, you know, better than most books do kind of over the first three months or so. And then you're right, once the pandemic happened, then all my kind of pestering people, on Twitter began to bear a bit of fruit, and I actually went to send the link to the book to a BBC journalist. And when I went on the listing, I saw it at, it had hit number one in rugby, okay. and then it just really got out of control. Because so I did a I, I did a tweet just you know being nice and saying thanks, and then a uh, uh, Brian Moore, big rugby twitter you know he also he used to play but he's got a big account now mm. on twitter and he retweeted me and after that i spent a whole weekend you know oh, wow. replying to people i'm very grateful to him and yep. I, I sent him a little thank you but he yeah yeah he never he never replied but he's nice legend you know he he did he did more for me than you know i could possibly expect and then people like jim got in touch and then the book carried on kind of um you know it's knocking up at the top of the sort of general sport sport chart which was really fun
1: Uh, it was really interesting book thank you i had to laugh when i when i read the story about the um the drugs test (laughs) and just if if everyone should just get the book just for that story of the the guy guy i won't i won't give it away but um it was it was perfect i mean i read an article about the um the championship being like the wild west yeah that sounds like it was very uh, similar in france
0: yeah they i mean there's
1: just it's so the, the leagues below that. i mean obviously not the yeah uh, yeah
0: no but i think even the top league is pretty pretty cowboy the um <laughs> you know there's there's huge amounts of money and it's it gets low you know it's on tv all the time in it, france it's a really big deal but that other stuff, so it's like they're not too bothered about like your diet That's and fair yeah. else. Yeah, yeah, and I think, um, yeah, in the in the lower leagues, and there's such a mismatch of teams, you know, there was t- there are there a lot of teams, you know, like us, and actually a lot, quite a few of those teams are now in the top two divisions where they were like, this is a professional enterprise, and we're taking this seriously to, you know, this is our local team, and we all work, and we train twice a week. And so they did feel like the administration was haphazard to say the least but yeah i don't know the um those they we we had so many like bizarre testing experiences and towards the end of the year you started getting tested a lot like you know if you're in the playoff team if you're in the playoffs people. why people are they doing so well yeah, yeah, you'd get yeah. people would grab you after a game quite often, and and you and it was it was quite hot as well. So you'd be playing in like June; it'd be pretty hot. You've know, sweated a lot, and then you're like, I, I mean, I don't need. I'm not going to need to go to the toilet for quite a long time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this yeah. could take yeah. this could take a long time to get a get a sample out of me. But yeah, they were very um,
1: well. It was nice. If, he was so it, personal, personal with you, and just. Uh... Being nice and close yeah. you know, just to make sure no, it was it all didn't. going right.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not, it, you do like to feel comfortable. In those situations. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what every man wants when he's trying to use the toilet is, is a French man. man. <laughs> yeah, in close proximity.
1: Yeah. After fringes, so taking the chance and putting fringes out there, probably making yourself uncomfortable has led to... Um, other work such as the um the biography was it of the four by 100 meters who contacted you about this this was uh, athens 2004
0: yeah so yeah um tristan bevan who he until recently was there he's been head of performance at cardiff rugby and at wasps and then back to cardiff um, but he had gotten to know Darren Campbell by having, so Darren Campbell was the, uh, the second leg of the relay team, but he was also, you know, phenomenally successful individual athlete, 100 and 200 meter sprinter. And he'd gotten to know Darren because Darren had come in to coach, uh, you know, speed at Wasps. And okay. then he'd, he'd actually written Darren's autobiography and they'd traditionally published it with a small publisher, but they didn't really enjoy that experience. And then when the, that led Tristan on to talking to the four guys about doing, you know, their collective story around Athens 2004 and their kind of underdog relay triumph. And sure, then yeah. he said, oh, there's this guy in rugby who's just done this book um, himself, you know. So I had a call with Tristan and then I met Jason Gardner in Bath, where we're both from. And I basically showed him everything, you know, kind of the inner workings of Fringes and my software and all that stuff. And then after that, they, they basically said, Oh, do you, you know, do you want to help us do this? And there wasn't loads of, you know, like there's no, there wasn't much money in it for me, but the idea the kind of getting to work on a project with people like that was really exciting. And, um, and I said, well, you know, for me, it's worth, doing if I get to kind of co-write it co-author it. Mm-hmm. And so then Tristan Tristan had a bit of an existing draft but then we've kind of went back through reworked everything and and worked on it together and it was really fun to do and then the kind of long winter third lockdown I think it was was um was sort of that came on but then it was really good to have a project to do you know to really throw yourself into in sure. the evenings in particular so that was a really fun project, but yeah, they brought it to me as a result of fringes. You're right.
1: Yeah, and uh, the the whole thing with um, your TikTok account and reading, I don't actually have TikTok myself. I'm a bit of a luddite <laughs> when it comes to that. But you're really passionate about books, obviously, and then you do this—is it Monday to Friday kind of TikTok book reading?
0: Yeah. So I between kind of normally sunday to thursday because those are sort of days where i'm likely to be you know like in and available and people won't be out they'll be kind of you know coming home from work and sure sitting yeah. down i try and go live like uh, you know as as often as i can and i i read live from different things really so i did it this week i did a sherlock Holmes story like a whole um one of the early ones um scandal in bohemia with uh, that's the probably scenes, the yeah.
1: only one I've re- i've read that's probably yeah, the only Sherlock Holmes I've read. I remember I read that. in yeah. that's cool. The,
0: it's one of the Cumberbatch, you know, the, one of the Cumberbatch episodes. Is is that story? But I did that, you know. And actually, that's like surprisingly long, like to read because obviously when you read aloud, it's quite slow. So you know, a thirty page story, which that is, is, an, is a solid hour really of um, of, of reading. But yeah, I, I actually really enjoy it, and it's funny because when I was a kid. Like sports and books were my things. And then I actually always quite enjoyed getting picked on to read out loud, or, you know, I always okay. quite enjoyed doing that. And it's funny that I've just sort of come back around to it as
1: well. A, that that I, leads on to my question about when did you feel comfortable? Because to some people, doing a kind of speaking to camera uh, and doing these kind of live TikTok, and t- speaking to the camera, for, for a generation below it, I mean, I'm 39. I think you're younger than me, probably 34 or something. Is that right?
0: Mm. I'm 36. Yeah,
1: I'm 36. Okay, but I'd say the generations below us are a lot more comfortable at talking mm. to the camera and doing this kind of selfies and stuff like that. Um, did you have to push yourself to kind of go right? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do. It. I'm going to be uh, kind of natural, but also 100. I'm going to go for it.
0: Oh yeah, I I, I was incredibly uncomfortable with social media beforehand you know when I was playing rugby I I didn't really like using it at all I didn't like the way that people used it it felt like you know particularly in rugby it felt very self-aggrandizing to me and because I wasn't you know as well like that top level player it felt really ridiculous for me to post about but now I kind of see that as a shame because I could have posted about books then and it would have been a bit more kind of radical and interesting in a way um but yeah i was really uncomfortable with it and once i stopped playing rugby I, I kind of had to take a bit of an inventory of what i was good at and what i was bad at and with some of those discomforts i was like i actively sort of tested them and um and the, the sort of getting comfortable on camera was actually in the pandemic in the first lockdown i was working for a startup called laps which helps athletes transition from sport yeah. to a career and i was the head of content and basically the pandemic had meant that we had to cancel all our like kind of flagship in-person events which were like the big thing for the year i suppose and then everyone suddenly sat home and said well what can we actually do and we we alighted on this like we'll do a webinar series and we'll you know each one will have we'll try and get guests on and we'll kind of you know talk athletes through different things one might be you know using instagram one might be making a cv one might be you know all these different things and then i ended up kind of hosting those and they were private they're online but you know the sometimes there'd be sort of 60 60 people maybe um and yeah i got quite comfortable yeah. like doing that and then when I started the TikTok originally it was just posts and then I and then I was like well I heard live was like a good strategy and I was like I'll just go live and read and to begin with yeah I was a little bit uncomfortable but quite quickly I think I kind of loosened up and it took took a few weeks but I think you know with the athletes it was good because although it was it's quite a lot of pressure but obviously there was no kind of random element coming in you'd have to you know respond to some questions that would turn up in the Zoom chat but um, yeah, I mean, some of the people that jump on your TikTok, you know, they'll throw all sorts at you. So you've really got to kind of stay, um, stay agile to that. And I think, but quite often, because I'm reading, I, I just ignore what's going on for the most part until until I'm finished. And um, there's a guy who he he sometimes helps me out and like jumps on and moderates. Um, you know, because like with anything online, it's public, brought- yeah. Yeah, yeah, like broadly open to everyone, you know. Sometimes, sometimes something happens, but nothing, nothing too bad's ever actually kicked off. Are they telling and, you to dance? Or... <laughs> yeah, every so often. But yeah, then the um, the other thing is obviously like, I'm pretty zero tolerance if anyone's kind of like you know rude or anything, just getting out of hand. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just block them. It's not really a big problem.
1: You mentioned about the um, you know, when you're over in France and that you could have started earlier. Uh, doing this kind of getting into the books a bit oh, you're already mm. into books but i just mean in a on a public level mm. um so this podcast is kind of aimed at athletes who may be retiring or may have already retired and kind of giving them a, a kind of a playbook i'd love it to be a kind of playbook which leads exactly to what your new book is end game where that's that's how you describe it almost a playbook for um athletes on what they should consider when they're coming towards the end of their playing days and one of the points you made was start as early as you can with networking with getting an audience and you mentioned it yourself how it's always handy to start yesterday
0: yeah i i mean I suppose when I was working for laps, like because I was very much, you know, um making things that are appropriate for them. And I was like, look, I, I think there are things that I found useful that aren't appropriate for me to put, you know, on, like on this channel, but and I just thought it'd be a nice piece of work for me to do, it'd be a bit helpful. I'm not really interested in, you know, like charging people a lot of money for it. Um and I and I think, yeah, to your point, I think it's a really uh, useful and worthwhile thing to do to almost like if we could almost harness the hive mind of athletes you know then it would be so helpful but I think people quite often they have quite a some people have quite a difficult relationship with with their sport once they stop playing and they don't want anything to do with it so I think then they they don't they, they never kind of um, put the ladder down you know, for everybody else in a way um, but I, I, it's a bit of a sort of who's responsible and I think you know there's obviously clubs and players unions and competitions but I think you know in the absence of things happening it's like it's really on you and i think (laughs) yeah so i just wanted to kind of put together my thoughts on things and then you know not all of it will be useful to everybody at all but you know if you it's only a short book it's 100 pages so if you flick through and find one useful thing for yourself it's probably worth it um
1: yeah i'll put the link in the in the description and it is worth it because it gives you don't uh i mean i'm not a former athlete but any athletes who are who are reading it um there'll be certain information you'll they'll think oh yeah that makes that's a good point for instance insurance you're you're going to be you're going to get so much help when you're at a club a professional club um with insurance dental and all that kind of stuff and then as soon as you're finished right your contract's done We, we 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 don't need to look after you anymore and uh, it, it, you have to start looking after yourself. But um, I heard one quote and they said how uh, it was, uh, I think it was a former rugby player and the wife of the friend said, you're really, you're a great big guys and everything. And, but you're as useful as a graduate to me. Could you relate to that when you finished your? Because you were you had already graduated. Then you gone and played rugby, and then you've come back to the UK. How did you feel? Like the identity of being a former rugby player to then go back into uh, go back into work.
0: I, I think yeah, you just feel um, yeah, you don't know how to do anything. So you're like, well, what? How do? How does work work? You know, um, because work was, I turn up. I get told what to wear. I try hard at the specific things I'm told to do. And, you know, and that's that. And, mm. but work is quite opaque, I think, uh, in, in a way. And so I was, I was always very interested in different people. You know, there's one, one day I was working remotely with a lawyer and I was like, look, you know, um, don't show me anything sensitive, obviously, but like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what What is your day? Like, what, what are you doing? And it was always interesting for me to see those things. So I think, yeah, that quote is from Endgame, and it was the the
1: graduate one. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry because uh, I've, no, listened no, no, to no, no. I've read good. and listened no, to so much that I'm th- I thought if I say this could be from your book, Ben, but it might actually be from a podcast. I'm going to appear like an idiot, but now I just appear like an idiot anyway.
0: No, no, that's so cool that you've like in- internalized it. That's really nice. Um, the yeah, it was it was like well, I do actually feel like that, and I think with an athlete, you're probably you have all these soft skills, you know, the, like your communication, your teamwork, you know, your, your Your growth mindset, all these things that are really useful, and you will probably move on quite quickly. But literally at that entry point, you really don't know anything. And for me, it was always a like people be like, "I'd love to kind of, I'd love to employ you, but I don't know what I what I'd set you doing." You know, (laughs) like what? So I think two of the things I bang on about, like I'd, I'd like to go back to your kind of content point, but I think the the other thing is if you can develop like an employable skill, you know early. So it's like something you can just say, I can do this, you know, and then people, um, people will be like, okay, great. I can set you on that. And even if you don't, even if you don't end up there, you know, it's just your wedge in. And one of my favorite stories in Endgame is a friend's brother, actually, who was a lower division rugby player. He never kind of kicked on to the levels he wanted to, but he actually did a first degree in like um, in sports science, I think. But I think that was more of a sort of come and get a degree, play some rugby and you can you know you can kind of focus on your rugby while getting a qualification but it wasn't really his thing and he kind of later like when he was sort of thinking about his sort of dismount from rugby he he developed an interest in like design from trainers he'd gotten into like sneakers and you know that whole kind of culture and then more broadly he, he then got in he decided to do a second degree in interior design that he, he could do remotely so even though he was moving around so I think that was the other thing when when I was at university, you had to you had to be there. Whereas now there's so many good online study options, whether they're universities or other things. And he learned this interior design um, stuff, and like particularly during the pandemic where he was still playing, but he was, had a lot of kind of time to fill as well. So he started doing that. He started getting freelance gigs. And then once he, he actually, I think, started out earning his rugby while he was wow. still playing. And then, so once once he decided, right, that's enough rugby, he already had like, here's my qualification, here's my body of work, this is my skill. And you're like, that's so, it's it's one of the best kind of transition stories I've heard. And I think because it's it's also, he pivoted, you know, he did do a degree, but maybe not for the right reasons. Mm. And then, you know, he's done something else, which is actually around his interests. But I think the other side of it, to go back to your, um, you know, your content point, I think if you do share these interests, they don't have, to, you know, you, you don't have to, share them in a way that uh you know you're hoping to get paid for immediately but just to kind of demonstrate that you're more than an athlete because you are and you never know who's going to see it and I think the the thing that's good about content is that it it works for you 24/7 doesn't it so it's always there someone can find it at any point without you having to do anything whereas you know face to face meetings are you know they're never going to go away they're so valuable and you you know the they're kind of much more nourishing in a way than like an online meeting, but you can, you know, there's only one of you and you've only got so much time. Whereas if you're, you know, if you're kind of out there um, online in some capacity, whether that's just, you know, sharing the odd thing on your Instagram or whatever, but um, you'd be surprised. I think there are things that can result from doing these things that you just, um, and that they are much harder for you to make happen once you stop playing as well, because, while you're still competing you've got that athlete cachet and people will be excited by you you know anyway and it will help you kind of go and maybe get in and meet these people or do work experience whatever it is but yeah once you stop it's like yeah you're just you're just a you're just an adult who's as useful as a graduate and you're sort of out there with everyone else whereas so you know using the athlete thing as your wedge in the door is is really it's really valuable and i think a lot of us because we don't want to consider the end of the career i think jorge valdano he's to play for real madrid and he's still kind of involved with that club but he's like oh it's like death so footballers don't want to think about it <laughs> yeah
1: i mean it must be it must be tough especially for let's say a young lad has been from an academy let's say football, for instance, and they've been at an academy since the age of 12 or 13, and they just go through the club, let's say for Rashford, for instance. And yes, he's 25 now, but you were a child yesterday. And it must be so difficult for a player who might retire at 32, 33, which is so young. It's it's kind of absurd that, that the word retire is used in the first place to someone who you know these kids will look at like the old guy who retires at 33 it's it's madness
0: i think part of that as well is like um it's important to kind of maintain your relationships outside of sport with just your friends you know because they're they're doing normal things and so actually and sport is such a little bubble for yourself and you're all doing the same thing so it's very easy you know it's a very intense experience and it's great fun and all the rest of it so it's very easy to kind of stay in that and because I lived in France it was even that that was even more of a thing because you know I didn't have loads of time to see my you know to see my friends from home and they live somewhere else so yeah I think just keeping that connection to to people that are like you know um living in the kind of normal world and I but I think the other side of it is Like retire retiring, you know, it is a slightly irritating term, you know, like you wouldn't Mm. you wouldn't, you know, stop teaching at thirty two and go, I'm retiring from teaching to become a lawyer and it's like, Well, no, you're just changing career. So Exactly, um, yeah. it, It is different. Like so it's hard to get away from that but I think as well like it will be difficult and there are difficulties to it but it's also quite an amazing opportunity to um to to do something else and not all athletes are super pumped about playing sport you know and like it's quite it's quite difficult and painful and rigorous so actually some people are quite relieved when they stop and um and it is it is a sort of a great opportunity to to do something else because a lot of other people they they sort of have the career itch when they're, you know, in their mid forties and a lot of other people change career later in life. And, you know, they've got a, they've got a far more kind of settled, um, far more settled existence with a lot, you know, a lot depending on them that maybe you'll have a bit less of when you're a bit younger. So actually it's, it's kind of a privilege in a way, like, you know, there's very few people now particularly that are going to go through their whole life without changing career. So in a way, while you're going to change, you know, in your thirties, probably. And it's going to be tough. in a way, In another ten years, you'll probably be ahead of everybody. <laughs> you, you know, you, you might move ahead of everybody else because you'll be ten years into your second thing, whereas other people will, might want to close off and and change. And they're going to have this back to basics moment. So, in a way, yeah, you, you're not even behind. you you're, you're. If anything, you're kind of on on trend for work. You know, in terms of like how work seems to be going and becoming much more kind of episodic. Um, yeah.
1: I heard in um, uh, at the at Saracens the rugby club there was a rule that um, if you're under 25, you have to be taking some kind of course or uh, um, kind of trade. I mean that, and and there are mm. quite a few, quite high profile England England players, uh, George Cruz. Jamie, um, Jamie George yeah
0: Jamie Jamie George I think does something yeah. with Brother. it's like a physio center or something like that and then they've had guys start beer brands and coffee businesses and um I think Alex Goode has been going into the city for quite a long time and doing like a day a week in a firm and but the yeah I think they're particularly good and I know you know people are like oh but the you know they have their salary cap you know snafu but like they do do right they do do right by the by the players, I think, in terms of that encouragement. And actually, there was a there was a really interesting proposal for the second tier of rugby that would have made it. I think it was something like an under twenty six league, but you're allowed five or six overage players. But yeah, exactly what you're saying. I think everybody had to have either a job, be studying, or be apprenticing, or be running a business. And, and then the training and everything else would occur in the evenings and you would, and then there was, it was salary capped. So your individual salary couldn't be too high, but actually you were being paid quite well for, you know, essentially a part-time job playing rugby. And the whole thing was a sort of talent incubator for the top league and, and, you know, and a young person's game really. Um, But yeah, that, that was quite an interesting proposal, but I think it was, people were split on it because... I think any attempt to kind of address that in rugby is is difficult and, you know, quite emotive and all the rest of it. But I do think, yeah, I'd I'd have, I suppose I was in the academy system when it was less well grooved. It was quite a new thing. And um, I think now they are generally better at encouraging the guys to have, you know, other strings to their bow because it was very possible to just sort of sit there on 10
1: grand a year and, you know, live live with four other guys and yeah
0: exactly (laughs) defer all thought of anything for a couple of years but i think the other side is um you know i i think there's so many amazing opportunities to go abroad and you know I, i got very lucky that a coach who knew me went to france and kind of offered me an opportunity that it was a risky one and it was for you know real peanuts salary wise but it was in terms of experience it was such a like rich and amazing thing to do but i think there's so many opportunities to go and study you know you could go to the u.s or you know u.s yeah there's all these things where you just don't know and i think these opportunities are kind of they are out there but you you probably have to do the legwork a little bit
1: you have to search for it yeah yeah and um is there anything you would have done differently Uh, you know obviously you you enjoyed your time in france it sounds like you enjoyed it but are any things you thought i wish i changed this or i wish i stayed a bit longer or moved earlier
0: i think every every athlete has like slight sliding door moments and um i i don't know now if going to university was like it definitely set my rugby back um but i met so many great people who are still friends that actually i can't kind of begrudge that experience at all i think yeah maybe if i'd known and I was I was relatively adventurous. I like you know, I moved to the other end of the country. But, you know, if I'd known about something else, then maybe I could have yeah, gone to France, you know, then or, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's very difficult to do that. I think my regrets are more around, you know, not starting doing the other things sooner. So you know not doing the social stuff and talking about books and you know setting that stuff up, stuff up for myself before and being a bit braver in that respect i think though my regrets more sense around that than they do around what i did with the rugby um i think later i kind of stopped looking for other contracts i just stayed at rouen for four years there was a point where i got an offer but i got uh, to move up a division which would have been very difficult to to turn down but i was hurt at the time and they needed me right away because it was an injury replacement but i think i when i think back on it it it's just because i was quite happy i was like well i'm quite happy here yeah so i i know you know i know the people i i like the place i'm you know i feel quite well integrated i had kind of my friend you know family could come and visit and my girlfriend at the time I could get to you know without too much trouble in the car so I was like well you know moving felt like um, it felt unnecessary in a way.
1: Upheaving it. Yeah. yeah
0: and I think um, you know I could have tried but I think the fact I didn't try just proves that actually I, I was quite happy until right at the end really.
1: I mean I read in uh, Endgame how you said how through my writing, through posting online, I was I've been flown around the world. Where were you flown to?
0: Mm. I mean, that was bizarre. So I, I I posted a couple of videos about A. Moore Tolles, who wrote Gentleman in Moscow," which is a very big hit, and he's written a couple of other books. So the other one I read is called "The Lincoln Highway," and I got an email from um, UCSB, which is Santa Barbara. It's like the university in Santa Barbara in California and they said that he was coming to do a talk uh, for their arts and lectures series and and would I like to come and I, and I said well you know it's very kind of you but I don't live in the US so um you know I live in the UK I live in the UK yeah I was like I live in the UK so um yes like thank you for the invite but I won't be able to make it and then they came back to me about a month afterwards and were like oh well a donors actually offered you know to sort of stump up to bring you over and then you weren't even allowed to take video in the in the talk so they were like there's no expectation of you doing anything it's just (laughs) you know just come here and i was like yeah fine so i went over and i put extra days on so i could just have a pleasant time and do my work over there you know i was noodling around on endgame at the time actually because it was uh it was january of this year and um so i was doing that and then uh, after i you know the talk stuff, and I, I did get some content and things, which I'm, I actually need to, to kind of put together properly. I've got a few videos, so I'm gonna kind of put them out at the end of the year and in a kind of year recap thing, I think. But the, yeah, then after I went for a little road trip up to, up to Big Sur, which was just absolutely fantastic, and just had like a glorious time in January away. Yeah, it's a crazy like,
1: part of the world, hey.
0: Yeah, it was so. It was really. It sounds trite, but it was a really inspiring place and i think it wasn't so i think if you go in the summertime then obviously the roads a lot busier and all the rest of it but it really was amazing
1: the reason i asked about the the job interview was because um you know a lot of places they might say where do you see yourself in five five years time which is almost it's an impossible question to really ask an answer um but you've seen such a change with your role and you're kind of doing so many different things. You want to stay obviously within literature, but where do you do you see a kind of a, a path that you're going down, or you'd like to go down more? I could imagine you doing some kind of uh, rep- re- kind of reporting. Actually, you're good. You're a good talker in front of camera and good-looking guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you. Um, no, I, I yeah, you're right. I, I think like I'm. I've got loads of ideas and not enough time. And I think one of my problems and a lot of people have this problem is they have too many ideas and they don't follow them through. So it's, it's not like a you know problem that's unique to me, but I think, yeah, at the minute I'm, I'm on a course like, which is helping me finish off a novel draft and you know, that that's with um, like Curtis Brown here. So they just offered me a place in exchange for a video. So I was like, cool. Well, that will kind of spur me on to, yeah. to press on with that. And I think, I'd I'd like to kind of yeah go full spec I'd love to do like a kids book and I'd, I've got you know all these different things and to your point about kind of um, reporting I think maybe there's something in yeah podcasting or maybe like you know YouTubing or something like that but yeah I don't know I'm kind of just gonna keep keep going keep pulling up the threads at the moment I've got different ideas to do on TikTok so I think they've, they've got some new functionality where I can make content that people can buy and it, but it sits on TikTok. It's not like, um, and, and I can, and I can repurpose it, you know, so I'll be kind of doing something like, they're almost like courses. You can almost host like a course if you want, or kind of, or create a little community on that. Yeah, exactly. So I think I'm going to experiment with a couple of things on there because, um, yeah, I'll carry on sharing other people's books and then you know um I've just started as well this so that was probably six weeks ago I did the first one but um I'm involved with this like uh it's called taking boys seriously but it's um addressing the literacy my role is addressing the literacy gap between boys and girls at school yeah. so been working with this school on you know um kind of Curating some books for the boys and encouraging them to read and just chatting to them about the same things that me and you've spoken about, really, kind of um sport and careers and social media and books, and just went went down for the day and had a load of conversations and made them a little kind of private um notion page with loads of different resources and book suggestions and stuff. So if you're they're reading a, you know, a couple of the different ones now, and I think we'll probably do like a bit of a we'll probably do like a book club together with like something, something more classic that's shorter, something like old, the old man in the sea or something like that. So I think on the one hand, I'd, I'd love to carry on, you know, basically I, I see it as sort of working with brands and doing things on, you know, on TikTok and stuff and then also coming up with my own work. So whether that's books or podcasts or whatever, and then on the other end, I'd love to be kind of, um, yeah, helping like yeah. young guys. That
1: educational kind of side. And then and there's the kind the kind of, yeah, the brand and stuff like that yeah
0: yeah exactly using like using one to facilitate the other i suppose but that's i think in a kind of general sense that's what i see going forward and then the how is kind of going to be up for debate but yeah that's sort of
1: yeah you'll keep spinning those plates and one will just keep spinning and yeah hopefully <laughs> yeah yeah i mean but that's what's great nowadays is that um you are able to do so many different you don't have to choose one thing do and you can you Mm. can try different avenues and it and you'll start to see uh something take traction and
0: yeah i think and it's it's um i got some good advice recently because i was thinking about you know what to do and then this guy was like you know he'd been very successful in startups and sold a couple of startups and he was like look you know um really quite often you just need to keep doing what's working and, and it's like oh actually that's quite sensible it's like you know and a lot of these things sometimes you know it's about outlasting isn't it and just being like being consistent And I mean those are the same lessons from sports like you know you've just got to keep keep consistent and uh you know and that's all you can kind of set your store by I think the other thing to your point you don't have to be locked into one thing. I think there are certain careers, you know, my parents were doctors and they were just, um, you know, they worked in the same places for 35 years or whatever, um, you know, went into the same building. And I think that was my kind of model of work. And I think at school, it was very much, um, you know, those were the sort of potential futures that were largely, sort of signposted because it was quite an academic school so it was sort of like well you know you do this you go to university then you get a job and you know that's sort of that's your lot really and you can still do that but i think um i yeah i, I was quite surprised that there was more possibility than that in a way just because my own experience had been very you know this is my job <laughs> so yeah it's been a very kind of ad hoc discovery process but it's it's super it's been it's been fun i think I, in the first place, and I said it to someone else the other day, but it was like the, um once I stopped playing rugby, I found the uncertainty like quite scary. And now I find, now I find it quite exciting. And I think the other thing is that whatever you're doing online or whatever, you're always kind of showcasing some skills. So it's like, I, I was always thinking, okay, well, even if nobody saw this, like, what would I be sort of showing, you know, like, and so with reading the books i think okay well audiobook narration i could maybe get some like voiceover work those sorts of things and you're like okay well even if nobody cared i would still have like things that i could send to people to be like okay well here's a skill i've got and writing is kind of similar and you know there's there's versions of that um in all sorts of endeavors uh i just think one of the things that is quite a lot It's quite often you have to do the work and then you almost have to do the work to show everyone the work you know you've got to kind of document your own work to then to then you know get more of it which feels like sort of double double the amount sometimes but I think you know you've got to if you want that kind of life you've got to play the game really
1: that's it for today thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Ben and of course thank you again to Ben if you enjoyed the podcast please consider subscribing and you'll be kept up to date when our new episodes are out.